Pray, pray for me. Um, we are continuing um, a series on the image of God. And a couple weeks back, I preached on the theme of power, uh, bearing power and what that means. And this sermon today really focused on the meaning of work and the image of God kind of builds on that. Although a couple weeks, even in my own mind, I'm trying to remember the connections. But our, our text this morning, at least the first one is pretty familiar to you. Um, Genesis 2, and then um, the second one is from Exodus. So hear God's word to us. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east of Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made, a, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight for good and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to, the water, to water the garden, and there it was divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Dilium and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make of him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord, brought, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast in the field. But for Adam there was not a helper or was not found a helper fit for him. And now uh, Exodus 35. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Baziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for every work and every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oheliab, the son of Ashamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver, or by a designer, or by an embroiderer, in blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, or by a weaver, 
by any sort of workman or skilled designer. The word of the Lord. Lord, you created us from the dust of the ground and you, you placed us in a garden. You placed us somewhere to do work. And you give us your spirit in order to do that work with skill and craftsmanship and intelligence. This morning we pray that you give us a picture and a vision of what it means to be created in your image as those called to work in your good creation. Meet us by your spirit and in your word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. One of the most important things I do, um, or rather, one of the most important things about us as, as persons is the work we do. Where we work, uh, what kind of work we do, how much we work, how meaningful we find our work. The character of work is, in a sense, part of a definition of human nature. You can't define what it means to be a, a person unless you also include in that work. <clears throat> the experience of work over the course of a lifetime plays a significant role in the formation of our identity as people. And as a pastor, one of the recurring conversations I have with people over the years has to do with work. Whether it's um, somebody struggling in their work to find meaning and purpose, some, whether it's uh, thinking about a career change, whether it's uh, somebody who's just graduating from, from college or grad school and thinking about starting their career, or whether it's somebody who has lost a job or is underemployed. Um, offering spiritual guidance to people around their work is one of the most important things I do as a pastor because work is important for our lives. It's not everything but it is at the heart and center of you know, most of our, work, our, our weeks, right? And so whether uh, work impacts us for positive and negative reasons, um, we're defined positively and negatively by the kind of work we do. And in work, there's a kind of intertwined realities um, that are sometimes hard for us to distinguish. Um, there, we work for the sake of survival, right? And we, we, but we also work for the sake of identity. The philosopher Hannah Arendt um, makes a distinction, I think, that helps see how these are related. Um, she distinguishes between what she calls labor and work. Labor is something that we must do to sustain our lives. We have to labor, right? Um, but work is something we do to contribute something to the world. Labor is about survival, and you can say work is about identity. A job is what we need to survive. A vocation is what we do to find purpose in the world. And so we labor because we have to. We need, we need money, right? You can't, you gotta pay the bills. You gotta, gotta have food. You have to be able to pay for, for shelter. Um, this is labor. This is, this is necessary for all of us. Um, but for work, but that's not all work is about. We work as a way of finding our place in the world. We work as a way of finding our place in the world. We work in, is central to how we sort of figure out our own identity. And the vocational sweet spot, if you will, in life happens when your labor, <laughs> that what you have to do to survive, 
aligns with uh, something you actually enjoy doing, that you love to do. That, that's the ideal marriage, right? Where you make money, uh, you pay the bills, you provide for your family and for yourself, and you also happen to like what you do. <clears throat> but very often, this is an elusive marriage, <laughs> as many of you know. Um, a lot of times we have work that we don't enjoy, um, but we need to work. There's no, there's no way around it. And oftentimes we feel very alienated from our work. Even work that we do enjoy, we often experience uh, seasons and times of great alienation from that work. And yet, no matter who you are, uh, you know, your station in life, whether you know, you're, you're wealthy or you're poor, um, regardless of your social class or your race, work is really central and important um, for what it means to be a person. It's more than about just survival. Work is about identity. It's about, again, finding our place in the cosmos. Um, we're always looking to get more out of our work than simply survival, right? We're looking to get a sense of dignity um, from our work, a sense of meaning and purpose. Uh, John Paul II has an encyclical uh, from 1981 called On Human Work. And he, I think, captures this in the beginning of your worship folder. He says, he says, work is a good thing for man, and man here is inclusive of men and women. Work is a good thing for man. It is not only good in the sense that it is useful or worthy um, or something to enjoy, it is also good as some, being something worthy. That is to say, something that corresponds to, to human dignity that expresses this dignity and increases it. Work is a good thing for man because through work, not only, uh, work not only transforms nature, adapting it to his own needs, but achieves fulfillment as a human being. In a sense, becomes more a human being. I like that last line, that work, uh, it functions to make us more of a human being. It, it ought to humanize us in a sense. And that's what God originally designed work to be, something that causes us to grow up, to mature, to become more fully human. And we fulfill and we live out the meaning of our lives through the tasks and the work that is given to us. Whether that has to do with work out, um, of the family and raising children, or work outside of the home, all of these things are inclusive of that. And when we work, there's a way that we're fulfilling what it means to be image bearers of God. Because God was the original worker. He is the original maker. So to reflect God's image in the world is to be made to participate in his original work as the creator and the maker of the cosmos. So that, that's such an important understanding for the image of God, which is to be created in God's image is to be created for work. Work comes before the fall. I think this is important to emphasize because sometimes we think of work as simply a consequence of the fall, as a necessary evil. Like if I won the lottery and I didn't have to work, I just simply wouldn't do it, right? But I think most of us know that actually no, work is more than just having money to survive. It's where we gain a sense of our purpose in the world. But I, I do want to just reflect for a moment on the reality, though, that work, the work we do is in the shadow of the curse, or rather better put, under the curse. 
Work is part of God's good creation. It's not a result of the fall, but the character of work and the experience of work outside of the garden is, is under the curse. And remember when God is handing out the curses after Adam and Eve have eaten of that tree that they shouldn't have eaten, the curse that is given to the man or to Adam, and it applies universally, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you have to return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. See, in the garden, the man and the woman didn't have to work for the sake of their survival. The Lord God provided food from the trees that were good. Uh, Work in the context of the garden had a very different meaning than it does outside of the garden because work in the garden wasn't about survival. It was, work was how we related to God who was in the garden with us. Um, God provided the shelter. God provided the food. Um, But outside of the garden, things change. Now we have to work. There's There's no way around it. And now the burden of work is saddled with our very survival and not, not just survival, but it becomes burdensome. <laughs> uh, work becomes burdensome. And I don't care if you have your dream job in life, um, all work at some point is burdensome. It's toiling, sometimes mundane and difficult and stressful. That is because of the curse, right? That's a result of the curse. Um, and I, I say this because I think it's, the, the universal reality of the curse is so important to, re, to remember when we think about our jobs, <laughs> when we think about um, how we relate to our work. In our culture, we, I think we are in a very unique place, in a, a, mer, a meritocracy, which um, puts so much emphasis on the goodness of work, and you, you find yourself, you prove yourself through your work you know, what kind of job you got, or where, it starts with where you go to college, and then, you know, kind of what kind of job you get, and our culture affirms the goodness of work, and I affirm the goodness of work as well, but there's a way, I think we're at a point now, especially in a, the social demographic of our particular church, where we have invested so much of our identities in our work, that it's easy for us to romanticize and idealize our work, and when we feel alienated from it, Um, when we feel frustrated in it, to see it as a kind of fundamental wrong that shouldn't be. And it's easy for us to forget um, there's no perfect workplace outside the garden, right? The garden is a perfect workplace. There is no perfect workplace in which you can escape um, the curse. So, I mean, it's just important to say that. Um, it's important for us to remember that when, when we find ourselves sort of beaten down or questioning our work or um, feeling that sense of alienation to remember that this is part of it, what it means to live in a fallen, fallen world. But nevertheless, I share this as a cautionary note um, for us to keep in mind. Nevertheless, through work, we become more human. 
We become more human. We become more of what God wanted us to be. Um, to be created in the image of God is to be created for work. And we recognize this is not just a result of the fall. And I want to draw your attention back to our story uh, and the creation of the world and, and the creation of the garden in particular. God creates the heavens and, and the earth. Um, and, and, and there's a sense in which um, creation is incomplete without the, the man, the ha-adam, which is a universal term for male and female in that particular context, without human beings there to, to work it. Right? There was God, God created us a garden, but there was nobody to work it and to keep it. There's a sense in which all creation waits on the creation of human beings so that it reaches its full potential. We talked about this a couple weeks back when this idea of power and authority um, is tied into this whole idea of work. And let me just remind you of uh, the verse from Genesis 1. Again, there's a sense that God has tied the fate and the development of all creation to the, to the human race. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And, the God, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, take note of all those verbs. <clears throat> Subdue, have dominion, multiply, fill, or later on in chapter two, work and keep. These are all, act, these are all verbs that relate to our work within creation that God has called us to. The work that God has for us as his image bearers is not a form of servitude and drudgery um, of things that God didn't want to do himself. That, that's actually part of the creation myths of other, other uh, ancient or Eastern religions of the time in which the, the whole purpose that these humans were created was to do the, the dirty work that the gods didn't want to do. But the biblical understanding of God, again, is very different because God is the one creating all these physical things. And when he creates human beings, there's a way that we then are, are put in a place where we're co-creators with him. Not in the same way, we don't create out of nothing, but there's a way we participate in that original work of God. That's what it means to be a human being. We participate in his work. And, and in doing this, we become more fully human, but also at the same time, when we do this with righteousness, creation comes to its full glory. Um, commentators on Genesis 1 and 2 are pretty universal and observing that the way that the writer describes the creation of the heavens and earth is that the, the whole creation, the whole cosmos is like a temple. It's a temple for the presence of God. And then when you move from chapter one to chapter two, you move from the temple at large to the Holy of Holies. The garden is the Holy of Holies. It's a place where the Lord God dwells and walks with the man and the woman who are kind of like high priests, kingly high priests and priestess, put there to work and to keep the garden. And again, the verbs here are very interesting. Uh, the word for work, avad, and the, work, the word keep, samar, these are two words that get picked up later in Numbers to talk about the work of priests in the tabernacle. And so it's a, a, wor a work of worship, right? To, to work and to keep are words for worship. 
And, and even, even what Adam is doing in chapter two when God brings all the animals to him and he's naming them and he's sort of distinguishing and classifying them. I mean, this is a, this is a scientific task we do today, right? Um, this is an activity that the priests do as well. Naming, separating, distinguishing. All of the language for work in Genesis two and Genesis one gets used later on to describe the worship life of Israel in the tabernacle and in the temple. All the same words. And, and when you look at descriptions of the temple, it evokes all these creation images, recalling the garden. Because the temple, in a sense, is that special presence and place for God where God dwells, right? Okay, so that's a lot of biblical theology and, and reflection. But, okay, what does this mean? What's its significance for how we think about our work today? All work in the garden was a form of worship. All work in the garden was a form of worship. Work was an offering up of the world and ourselves back to God. Um, work was worship and worship was work. And there was a seamless integration of the two. Seamless integration. Before the fall, um, there was this perfect alignment of our activity with with and our work. And, you know, I keep talking about the garden. It's just helpful to understand in the Bible, the garden, the garden doesn't necessarily refer to an actual place, but to an experience, a kind of primal experience that we're all yearning for to get back to. Right? The garden's the perfect workplace. It's the place where there's just joy and happiness, security, stability, meaningful work, freedom, all those things. And the reason why that all those things are there is because God is there. His presence is, personal presence is fully there and we're right alongside of God working the goodness of creation. And the Hebrew, there's a word shalom, which gets translated peace, which is very important. Because the idea, the Hebrew word of shalom has to do this holistic flourishing of right relationship of all things together with harmony and peace. It's the thing that we all yearn for. The garden was a perfect workplace. And the reason it was that, because God was at the heart of it. <clears throat> Our work was meant to be cooperative and collaborative venture with God. And worship was a way, this work was a way of worshiping God and being with God in creation, with him right there alongside of us. Let me give you an example here of what I mean, how this comes together. I imagine that the original garden work experience was something akin to what I, I get um, when I work, when I cook with my, my children, especially with my daughter, Tess. <clears throat> Tess has become quite an accomplished baker and also um, cook as a 13-year-old, and she loves cooking with me. Um, she's always eager to learn new things and often is my sous chef alongside of me, and she's gotten better and better as a, as a cook to where I'm not you know, micromanaging her. And Well, she would say I still micromanage her. <laughs> Everybody knows they've been in the kitchen with me, I'm gonna micromanage, so it is, <laughs> I own it. But as, as a father, it is a great joy to be able to cook with my daughter, right? We, we're able to do meaningful work together, work that needs to get done, right? We have to make dinner. Um, we, that's something that just needs to happen. And it's, um, 
what the joy of it is, is it's work we, it has to get done in each other's presence, right? And I, I think this is a perfect picture of how God originally intended our work to be, that it, it's, it's a meaningful, collaborative, cooperative venture in which things that have to get done, get done, but they're also done in the presence of the other person, right? Work is meaningful um, in that what it does in the world for the good of others and the good of creation, but it's also a, a, a means of joyous presence with, with the Lord. That's what God intended our work to be like. And, and obviously, um, outside of the garden, that integration of work and worship is very hard to come by in our experience. Um, but even after we have been expelled and exiled from the garden, nevertheless, in, in the Genesis narrative, work is still at the heart of how humans relate to God um, as a way that the, we connect with God. And all you have to do is look to the next chapter of, of Genesis, chapter 4, in the story of, of Cain and Abel. Uh, let me just read you a couple lines from that. Uh, now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, God, um, Cain brought, a, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. So take note here, Cain is a worker of the ground and Abel is a keeper of the flocks. These are the same words you see in Genesis, worker and keeper. Um, so Cain's a farmer and, and, and Abel is, is a shepherd. And each of them um, bring an offering to the Lord. Um, from their unique vocations uh, as a way of worshiping God. And, I mean, there's a lot more to the story, obviously, than this. But I, I, I want you to see here that, that this is such an important part of, of how we think about our work, is we bring our work as an offering to the Lord, no matter what it is, whether you're a farmer or whether you are a keeper of the sheep, whether you're an accountant and you work with numbers all day, or you're a school teacher and you work with children all day, um, or you're more in a management position and you're managing people or a business, um, or you're, you're, you're cleaning, you're, you're changing diapers <laughs> and watching over children, or you're cleaning toilets or washing dishes. All of these things can be things we offer up to the Lord as an act of worship. Even the most menial and undignified kind of work can be something by which we worship God. And this is what Paul has in mind when he's directly addressing slaves in the book of Colossians. And the frustration, no doubt, and dehumanizing experience of being a slave. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. In other words, work as unto the Lord. Work as unto the Lord. Even if your work doesn't seem to have a whole lot of dignity, or maybe it's, it's sort of mundane or boring, work as unto the Lord. But the question then, I think, is, well, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean to work unto the Lord? Or what, is it, what does it mean to make an offering of my work to God? I think simply put, it means this. It, it means that God is the object of our work. It's to make God the object of our work. In other words, um, 
you know, we all work for somebody. <laughs> we all have bosses to whom we're accountable. We all need to pay the bills, right? But there is a way in which we can still, despite these realities, um, make our work God the object of our work. And I think that, and this is regardless of how high or low our work might be, again, Paul, whenever Paul talks about work in the New Testament, uh, he's never addressing like wealthy middle class people. He's always talking to the slaves. He's always trying to encourage them. (laughs) And he's not saying you have to stay in slavery, (laughs) just to be clear. Um, It's not the case that if our work is dehumanizing, we should just bear with it. Um, But what Paul would say, if you have the opportunity to to get out of that work, do. But know that even if you get stuck in that work, and that's the reality for many people, you'd like to have a better job, but there are no other jobs. (laughs) And so how do you make do? Work as unto the Lord. And to work as unto the Lord is... Is, is not necessarily to change how the work circumstances are, but it's a, it's a different inner experience of work. It's something within us and how we think about and relate to our work that Paul is getting at here. I think there's just so many different applications to this principle, and I, I, can't, I can't go through them all, but let me just give you a few of them of how this changes how we relate to our work. Um, to make God the object of our work means that I'm motivated to do good work and not be lazy and sloppy. <laughs> so it might be the case that your boss doesn't care or that nobody's paying attention. Um, so you just don't give your work the effort that it deserves. But if, if you're working as onto the Lord, you're like, I don't want to give God sloppy work. I want to give God good work. Because I'm not, at the end of the day, working for myself or my boss. I'm working for the Lord. So there's a way that that just says already there that my work should have a certain amount of integrity. It means that I'm to, to offer to the Lord, to, as unto the Lord, is to be thankful for your work. To recognize that whatever job you have, it comes from the Lord. He's provided. He's, he's provided for our needs. And to work as unto the Lord, to make God as the object of work, also means that especially for those of us in which our work is almost like a lifestyle, in which we're working all the time, we actually like our work a lot, and we're very tempted to build our identities on our work. To work as unto the Lord is to recognize that, no, I'm not the object of my own work. (laughs) Um, God is the object. So so when I um, do wildly, become wildly successful in my work, I don't let it go to my head. I don't let it, because at the end of the day, it's not about me, it's about the Lord. Or if I fail in my work, or I've been fired, or I get bad approval, it doesn't crush me and make me feel like a worthless person. Why? Because at the end of the day, I work as unto the Lord, right? This is, this is a liberating thing we can, we can, we can live into. And I, I love the quote from the John Coltrane liner notes from A Love Supreme, which is one of the greatest jazz, top five jazz albums ever. Um, often listen to it cooking. <laughs> but I, I love what, what Coltrane just captures this whole idea of, of work as offering. And I'll just, it's in your bulletin. He says, during the, the year of 1957, I experienced by the grace of God a spiritual awakening, which w- was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. And at the end, at that time in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and the privilege to make others happy through music. 
I feel this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God. This album is a humble offering to him. An attempt to say, thank you, God. Through our work, even as we do in our hearts and with our tongues, may he help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. You don't have to be a great jazz musician or a great artist um, to make a humble offering to the Lord of your work. It can be anything. It can be washing the dishes um, at home, changing diapers, um, mind-numbing, number-crunching. All of these things can be offerings, humble offerings of ourself and of the world to the Lord. And it's precisely here that, you know, God in the Spirit helps us overcome the alienation we feel in our work. Jesus understood his whole life to be about um, a work that he offers up to the Father. Uh, This is a theme in the Gospel of John you see again and again. Um, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. And now when we think about um, work, we think we work for the sake of food. But Jesus is in a sense saying, uh, my food is my work. And it's the work that the Father has given me. And it nourishes me. Because again, we always think of work in instrumental terms as, as something to get for us. But for Jesus, his work is his food, which is the will of his Father. Jesus says later, he says, my father is working until now, and I am working. Again, Jesus is carrying out in his own life the works that the father has appointed for him to accomplish. These include healings and miracles. It includes his ministry of teaching. It includes his gathering together um, a small group of disciples and followers. But it culminates in this great work, which we don't think of as a work, of his death and crucifixion on the cross. And the Gospel of John ends, Jesus' last words on the cross are, it is finished. (laughs) And then that's the last words of Jesus in the book of John, it is finished. What is it that gets finished? It's his work. The culmination of his work that he was sent to do by the Father that he's been carrying out now has reached its completion and it is finished and it is perfect. His work comes to culmination in his crucifixion and his resurrection. And his life becomes a perfect offering up to the Father. And I think what's, what's so beautiful about the cross is you think about that offering up that Cain and Abel make of offering up things and Abel's offering is good, but Cain makes a bad offering. With Jesus here, he makes an offering of us to the Father. He redeems us. He reconciles us. He saves us. And he offers us up to the Father. See, our, Jesus isn't really a model for us in some senses. But what's important to take away from the, the work of Christ, which is the perfect work of Christ, is the way in which we, we were part of that work. <laughs> we participate in that work as, as the recipients of, of salvation. And we're able to rest in that work. And that's so important. God rested from his work after he created, and Jesus rests. And now we have rest in him because of his perfect work. 
Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we give you thanks for the work of Jesus Christ and its perfection. Our work, we often feel very alienated by, um, frustrated. But Lord, we know that in Christ, um, we work. And that our work can be pleasing to you. And it can be um, even pleasing to us and sustainable when it's difficult because we're in him. So teach us what it means, Lord, to work as unto you. And may we offer our lives and all that we touch in this creation to you for your praise and glory. Amen.